So grief is something that people are often not very good at, or at least how to, how to work through. And this includes Christians. Sometimes maybe Christians are worse. Um, and I'm speaking from personal experience as I, as I share this. This is just something I just, some things I remember really clearly from. So my biggest experience with, with grief is when my mom passed away. Um, and so I'm thinking back, so now it was, it was October 2009, and it's one of those seasons of life that is going to be etched for, like, just very clear, a lot of details. And I remember when mom passed away, and I was in seminary at the time, and I remember being around, so I was surrounded by a lot of wonderful Christian family and friends um, who, who were meaning really well, but this is what they would typically say, and it wasn't very helpful. They would say, well, your mom's in heaven. And it didn't help. It actually kind of felt off. And you might go, well, but Pastor, I mean, they were right. And they were right. Don't get me wrong. They were, they were right. My mom was in heaven, and that was great. But the way they said it, said it, it just felt like they were dismissing all these other things that I was struggling with at the time. Because like at that point in my life, right, my, I wasn't married yet. Um, didn't have a kid yet. I wasn't a pastor yet. And I had all these things I'm like, I got to deal with that she's not going to be there. I practiced this part. I thought I'd be stronger. And I had to deal with that. And that was hard. And sometimes when people try to give you hope, they dismiss that you're hurting I think that's where the Christian world tends to have a harder time with it. The non-Christian world, I think what tends to happen often is distraction, which is really easy in our world. You know, because you can just watch so much video at your phone or whatever, right? Just distraction. (sighs) Grief is hard to deal with, which is why, even though today and... I picked on eagle's wings, and the closing hymn is abide with me. You might go, Pastor, you jerk. That's going to make me cry. <laughs> Sometimes we need to, to work through these things and remind ourselves of these things. And, and I did try to prep you with the teaser, by the way. The, the teaser subject line email was, it's okay to cry. I did try to prep you. It's good for us to talk about these really heavy seasons because God does give us some good medicine in our grief. And there really is comfort when we see God at work in our grief. And our lesson today gives us an opportunity to to, to ponder that, to consider that, and to begin to receive that good medicine when God works in these difficult seasons. So our lesson is Genesis chapter 50, verses 1 to 3. Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days... For that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. Now with this lesson, we're moving forward again with this uh, this series where we've been talking about seasons of testing. And it started on Ash Wednesday where we saw that Jesus was in the wilderness for those 40 days. The season of Lent is, is really built on that time. And so now we've been going through lessons where we see God working in a season of testing and accomplishing something for his people, giving us an opportunity to, to learn more about him, to trust in him, to step forward in where he's leading us. The last two lessons 
Uh, excuse me, as we think about this time, one of the things we've been doing is, is looking at this, uh, this number 40, which doesn't always occur when there's a season of testing in our lives, but it occurs so frequently in God's Word at really significant times that it's like this big, big arrow pointing and saying, this is a significant season. Seasons of testing are significant seasons, and we've been looking at some significant ones in God's Word. The last two weekends, we were looking at kind of the bookends to the account of Noah and about how there were the 40 days with the rain falling for Noah. And then also on the other end of it, Noah, once they kind of hit the, the mountaintop with the boat, with the ark, waited the 40 days before he then proceeded with the process of seeing if the land had dried up. That incredible season of patience and waiting that he was in. With our lesson today, we're still in the book of Genesis, but we're moving ahead to the life of Joseph. And so we're going to take a little bit of time and review Joseph's life story. As we do so, I want to offer just a a little little, uh, insight to how to think about when we do some of these reviews. Uh, Because sometimes we spend quite a bit of time in in reviewing uh, details and so on. And I want you to to, to be intentional about why do we review these. Part of it is because maybe some of that information that we're reviewing is actually new to you. Sometimes it's just to remind you. I know I have to review these backstories often. But also, and this was, I have Disney Plus to thank for this. Disney Plus is a, if you don't have it or don't know what it is, it's like Netflix or like, and uh, I was watching, I'm a Mandalorian fan, I was re-watching it. And at the beginning of an episode, there's, this, there's a recap. And there's this little thing at the bottom that says skip recap. And I was, the other day I was about to, I was trying to find the remote so I could skip the recap. And I'm glad I didn't because as the recap was going, I, I realized something. It's not just a review of what happened. It's a review of specific details of what happened that are there to prepare you for what is about to happen in the episode ahead. The review is very intentional. It's not just random things to get you up to speed. They are things to help get your mind going to prepare you for the next episode. And when we do these reviews, this is part of what we're doing too, is is, is covering the material but also specific details to prepare your mind for what we're studying today. So we think about the life, sto- the life story of Joseph. It's this incredible story where he is one of the 12 sons of this man named Jacob, who God actually encountered in some really amazing ways a couple different times and then changed his name to Israel. The nation of Israel, that name comes from Joseph's father. The nation of Israel, we think of 12 tribes of Israel. Those are Israel's 12 sons. This is a really significant family. Well, Joseph was the favorite child of his father. He and his father had a very special relationship. Unfortunately, they weren't shy about it, (laughs) which caused some family strife, some family issues. Uh, Joseph's father gave him this beautiful coat and everything, and which really showed off how much he loved him. And then Joseph had these dreams, where in the dreams we've got these symbols that are pretty clearly pointing to the fact that his brothers would actually bow down to him and he would rule over them. Then Joseph did the really smart thing of telling his brothers this dream that someday you're going to bow down to me. Bad choice, Joseph. His brothers were not happy with him, they were angry with him, and so one day when Joseph comes out to them, they actually put him in a pit They see some traveling traders going by, and they decide to sell him as a slave. And then they take that pretty coat that his father had given him, and they dip it in blood, and they tell their father that Joseph, they found this, and their father concludes that Joseph was dead and had been killed by a wild animal. So his father's grieving Joseph, grieving him, 
And then Joseph is in this situation where he is being taken off as a slave to a foreign country. Now, God went with him on, on this trip down to this foreign country. God went with him as he went down to Egypt. And you see it so clearly. He gets uh, sold to this man named Potiphar, and God really blesses his work there. Joseph becomes the, 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 the second most, like, the, the, the top guy in, in, in his house. But then, apparently, Joseph was doing a little too well for people because Potiphar's wife notices that Joseph's this handsome dude, and she wants to sleep with him. And Joseph holds to his guns, sticks to what God's word says, and says, no. And he refuses. So then her response is to accuse him of trying to force himself on her. And so he unjustly gets thrown into prison. And as he's in jail, as he's having a little more time on his hands to think about all the stuff in his life, he, though, is, is also being put to work, and God is, again, blessing his work. He becomes this influential person in the, in, the, in the jail. He's serving in good ways. But then he has this unique opportunity where you have these two people who were direct servants of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who had these crazy dreams, and Joseph interprets the dreams for them. For the one, he tells them, you're going to go back to service. You're going to be back with Pharaoh. For the other one, he says, your life's about to come to an end. And he tells the one who's going to go back to Pharaoh, he says, when, you, when you're back with Pharaoh, tell him about me. Because here's like the opportunity, right? Like, man, I got a direct line. Except for the guy gets back there, forgets for a couple years. Until Pharaoh has some crazy dreams. Pharaoh has these dreams about these skinny cows and these chubby cows and and eating up each other, and just, just weird dreams. You can't figure out what's going on. At that point, then, his servant is like, wait, I know a guy. He's in jail. And they get Joseph out. Joseph interprets the dream, and the interpretation is that there's going to be these seven years of plenty, and then seven years of famine. So store up as much as you can during the seven years of plenty so you have enough to cover the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh sees this as a good interpretation. He actually puts Joseph in charge of it, and Joseph becomes pretty much the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And then he does what he had interpreted. They store up over those seven years. You have this famine, and then during the course of the famine, people from all the surrounding areas come for food in Egypt, including Joseph's brothers. They come down to get food for their family. Now, that whole event, that whole account of Joseph and his brothers and how they interact is really intriguing. I encourage you to get into that. Read this section of, of Genesis this week. It's a great section to read through. We're not going to get through all those details right now. But I do want to point out this one. Is that once Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and says that I'm your brother Joseph, the very first thing out of his mouth after he reveals himself to them is this. Is my father still living? He says, I am Joseph. Next thing out of his mouth, is my dad still alive? Here he was wondering, am I going to see my dad ever again? This close relationship that we had. Can I, am I going to see him? And he finds out that he is. He's alive. And then Joseph's brothers, they go back to their dad they go back to Israel, and they told him, Joseph is still alive. And, I, and I've included a different translation than we normally use because the NIV translation is lame. It doesn't really capture what happens here with Israel at all. They say, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of, Israel, of Egypt. And I love the way they said it. And his heart became numb. What? 
My son who I thought was dead is alive. And he comes down to Egypt and see, because what Joseph said to his brothers was, bring the whole family down here. I will provide for you. We've got the goods. I will provide for you. And so they bring the whole family down to Egypt. And when Israel sees Joseph, he says, he says, I'm ready to die since I've seen for myself that you are still alive. He's like, my life is, it's, maybe it's like a way of saying, my life is complete. You know, you hear people say that phrase, right? Like, oh, he's still alive. And they have this reunion. And then Israel lives there for 17 years, which actually is, is really a beautiful thing. Did any of you know how old Joseph was when he was sold into slavery? What's that? 17. He kind of, there's this beautiful bookend that God gives. Joseph had 17 years with his father, sold into slavery, and then after being a slave, his father moves down to Egypt for 17 years. It's this beautiful bookend. They get this beautiful time together. Here in this big story of how God moved the family of Israel down to Egypt, and then in Egypt would turn them into this great nation, and then he would protect them, and he would, he would then, this would all lead to the exodus, to them coming out to the plagues, all that with Moses. This is all what leads up to that. In this whole grand story of God developing a nation that would be the nation that the Savior, the Messiah, would come through, in the middle of all that story is also a very personal father-son relationship. This up and down and challenging in the middle of it all, this very personal and real relationship, which is a beautiful reminder for us as we get into our lesson, is in the big scheme of what God is doing in the world, God never forgets the individual relationships. The father, the son, the mother, the daughter, the brother, sister, the husband, wife, the individual relationships, God is seeing it. It is all there in the middle of it. And in the midst of it, God gives us good medicine because he works in our grief. In our lesson, we see that Joseph threw himself upon his father, wept over him, and kissed him. When his father breathed his last, Joseph just started weeping over his father. I want you to notice something interesting about this slide versus the other ones so far. We just did a whole lot of review and from our regular Bible story picture source, there were tons of pictures of the Joseph story. Does that look like Joseph from, the Egypt, from Egypt? No. You know why? It's not a picture from this part. Not one. I don't think it would be that hard to draw a guy crying over his father. I mean, they drew all the other stuff. But for some reason, the, off, the, the artist skipped over this. Why do we do it? Why do we skip over it? I, I think it's not just the artist. Like we, tend, we want to kind of move past it. Maybe it's because people struggle with, like, how do you, how do you weep that much and have hope at that, that hope at the same time? I think sometimes Christians struggle with that a bit. Like, I have hope. Don't you mean, you know, like, like, when I think back to my mom, you know your mom's in heaven. Why are you weeping? I mean, the scripture is clear that, that, that Joseph had a lot of hope. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, God said to his father before uh, he moved down to Egypt, he said, I will go down with you to, to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. I mean, there's hope here. He's like, there's going to be resurrection. There's going to be new life. I mean, it was very clear. 
Maybe that's why we skip over it. But you know what? God's word didn't skip this part of the story. God's word is very clear that Joseph all in wept over his father and kissed him and mourned this loss. And by stating it so clearly, it points us to an even greater picture of someone else who mourned loss. This shortest verse in God's word is one of my favorites. I, I remember being, it was either on the sixth floor or the eighth floor of Methodist Hospital in Rochester, Minnesota, when I was really coming to grips with the, how serious my mom's cancer was. And I remember standing by the elevator so clearly and struggling with, but aren't I supposed to be, I'm a Christian, I'm not supposed to be sad. And then these two words popped in my head. Jesus wept. You know what, if Jesus wept, I'm pretty sure it's okay for me too as well. Actually, if Jesus wept, it's probably a good idea to go ahead and let it out. Jesus wept because in the middle of our grief, we can see God working, and he is good medicine. God does something in that season. There's something significant going on. In this season, we see that Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him taking a full, how many days? 40 days. Fits with this theme of what we've been going through. That's that significant number that kind of points you to that there's something important going on. We're told here that that was the time required for embalming. So there's a very practical reason why this takes place here. For the Egyptians... They're pretty famous for their embalming process, right? You think of Egyptians, you think of mummies and so on. They had a very elaborate process. This was the process, this was the time period it took them to do it, 40 days to take care of that. So that's part of the significance of this time. But man, there's something interesting about who Joseph directed to do this. It's the physicians. I don't usually think of like, I, you know, you've got, usually in our world, we've got the doctors and you have the people who work at the funeral home. They're not the same. In Egypt, apparently they were the same. They literally says the healing ones. And you just read that and man, they, could, they, could, they knew how to do what was necessary for the embalming. They knew how to prepare them for burial. But they were not the ones who could really heal. And in this season of grieving, there was, some import, there was an important process that needed to be done to prepare the body for burial. But there's an important process that we need to go to again and again that will bring our healing. We get to run to the Father. We get to run to the cross and see that the ultimate healing does come here. It does come through what Jesus did on the cross. It does come from the fact that he entered into this sinful world. It does come from the fact that he took all of your sin and mine on himself and paid the price for it on the cross. And it does come on Easter Sunday. This is the medicine that ultimately heals. This is the good medicine. But it's good medicine that can take some time. In this lesson, I love it, there's the 40 days for the embalming, and then how long did the Egyptians mourn for him? 70 days of just mourning. 
And that's not even all of it, because we read that whole section, right, where they went up to bury his father, and then they stopped at that threshing floor and had this big week of mourning there, too. It takes some time. And it's interesting, when you look at how much time they took to mourn in God's word, isn't it striking how different that is than our typical funeral or memorial service practice now? How many days do we usually take now for the visitation and the funeral? One. And I, I pointed out, not if, I, that's not if you've had a visitation or funeral, and that's, what you do, that's just what people are doing now. There's no fault of you or anything like that. But I question, is that, is that the best thing for us? To cram it in one. I mean, here they took 70 days and then some. And not all of all funerals in God's word took that long. But even when you look at other ones, other funerals, you can see that it was a fairly lengthy process. I mean, you get to the scene that we refer to with Jesus weeping, and there's mourners there. They actually had, like, groups of mourners who would come and mourn with you for a while. You think of other funeral scenes, and there's this process. It took some time. I know it's hard and it's heavy, but it, it takes time. And whether we go back to having you know, the, the visitations the day before or keep doing it on the same day or whatever we do in our culture, regardless of how much time we spend with the funeral, and that, we need to recognize that it takes time. Last week we talked about how much time it took for the waters to recede. This week we need to recognize it takes time for the healing to come. And we need to allow God to work in us, in our grief, however long it takes. We've been seeing throughout this series that God really just does something. Right? Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. And then that, that story of testing comes, the account of testing comes. God could have just flooded the earth in a day. I mean, he's God. He made everything in a, you know, he, day, seven days, right? He took 40 days to flood the earth. He waited 40 days and then some before Noah and his family could leave the ark. It seems to be God's way where typically he will take some time. Which, if you think about it, makes sense if you think about God in the form of medicine. When you get sick and get medicine from the doctor, how often is the prescription Take this medicine now, and then when you go home, you're good. It's not how medicine works, right? Usually you get a prescription for some days. You don't, you don't just take it one time and like, all right, should be golden. Had my surgery, I can go home and go and do all my things. Healing takes time. And it's the same way with our grief. We need to allow it the time to heal. I remember, and it's, and, and some of you, and I have a feeling some of you can relate to this, it's, so go ahead and nod and help me feel bad if you feel, if this is you. In my, in my seasons of grief, it's interesting how you can get to a point and you like feel pretty good, and then all of a sudden like that pastor picks that song that reminds you of that day or whatever, and, or you're going somewhere, or you, oh, we were cleaning stuff in our basement, and I pulled out, I had a keepsake box, and I had a t-shirt 
um, that said uh, Bethany College Mom on it that was there for my moms. Oh my gosh, I was a basket case. And that was like 11 years later. And you, sometimes you go, you're like, man, I thought I was over this. It takes time. And not only does it take time, but sometimes it will come back. And when it does, we just keep going. So here's the thing. Throughout our, our healing process after a surgery or being sick, what do you do? You just keep taking the medicine, right? Not expecting it to be done perfect today, but trusting it will do its job to heal you in time. It's the same thing that we do. God tells us again and again, he makes it so clear that he loves to comfort those who are mourning. I mean, in the Beatitudes, what? Blessed are those who mourn. There's a blessing in your mourning. God wants to come to you and comfort you. And the thing is, his comfort is not a standoff comfort. I love this verse, Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is where? He is close to the brokenhearted. He loves to meet you when you are broken and when you're a mourning and when you're sad. Personally, he comes to you and puts his arms around you and sits with you in your grief. There's this verse in 2 Chronicles 16, and I, I love the picture it paints of God. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for people to run to. This is the kind of heart our God has. Is, is, he's not, he, doesn't just, he doesn't just help us begrudgingly or anything like that. When you are mourning, he runs to you. He is looking for you. He is looking for people he can come close to and assure that he is there, that there is hope, and to heal. In the process, we get to keep going back to here. And just ponder again and again, what does this mean? What does that mean for this situation right now? Sometimes it's just that straight-up meaning that Jesus died for my sins and rose again, so I know that there's eternal life, I can see them again. Sometimes maybe the thing that, that sinks into our hearts is the fact that, you know what? Jesus gets me. He gets my grief. What does the scripture say? He's a man acquainted with sorrows, and he's right here with me. Maybe when you look at it this other time, maybe you see that, you know what? God could take the darkest, darkest night and turn it into the brightest day, and I can have hope ahead. Just keep going back to it and chewing on it, meditating on it, letting it sink in, and letting it heal you. Not with the expectation that it's all going to come. Boom. All right, she's in heaven. Good. But when you keep going to the medicine, it can begin to heal you and heal you and heal you some more until that day that we are fully and ultimately healed. Jesus is this good medicine. His death and resurrection is that good medicine. And when we go through a season of grief, when we acknowledge that, when we allow ourselves that time and keep looking to the medicine, looking to Jesus. We can see him at work in our grief. He can work in our grief, but it's not just our grief. There's one final thing I just want to note from this lesson. And it's just striking as I thought about it. So remember Jacob's land had been changed to Israel. And in this, this lesson we're told that the Egyptians mourned for him. So the Egyptians mourned for Israel. If you are, so who wrote the first few books of the Bible? Moses. The initial audience is the nation of Israel. 
Moses had just led them out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And now you read this, and who is mourning for Israel? The Egyptians. And it's just, wow. These people who you'd see maybe as your enemies, at times, can join you in your mourning. And a lot of times we talk about how messed up the world is and everything, but we can recognize that there are times where the world joins us in our mourning. And that one of the places where actually we can share and connect and be together with the world is in times of mourning. And over the last couple of years, we've had some very visible times of mourning. Obviously, we've had a pandemic, and there's been a lot of death, and we, can, we should mourn that. We can mourn that with the world. And maybe you personally haven't been affected by someone who's passed away, and praise the Lord for that, but there's still lots that we can mourn because, God willing, a lot of the world's, a lot of life is going to get back to, to pre-pandemic life, but there may be some things that will not. And we can join in grieving that with the rest of the world. Or maybe even just... Sometimes I look back, I'm like, man, did we kind of lose two years? Kind of. At least some things from them. And we could join in grieving that. And we should grieve that. We look around and we look in the news and we've got it on the top of our prayer board today. There's a war happening. And the world is grieving that. And we should grieve that. And this is all on top of the personal grief that we face. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one, but there's other things that cause us to have grief too. It can be when goals don't work out, that you really, your life, I was fixed on doing this and it didn't go. It can be a, a, a relationship that falls apart. It can, be, it can be so many things. It can be expectations that didn't meet. It can be the plan to, 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 to have children and they didn't plan out. It, could be, it can be so many things. And whenever it is, we should be honest about that grief, partly because it's one way we can share with the world around us that also is grieving, but also because the medicine for us and the world is the same. When we recognize our grief, when we mourn with those who mourn, we can come alongside each other and together we can look to the one who entered into this sinful, sad, broken world where there is grief. Who took all of the eternal suffering and the sadness that comes from sin onto himself so that that would not be the end of our story. The sadness is not the end. Easter is the new beginning. And we can go back to that and let him heal us, looking forward to the day when we will ultimately be heal healed. We're a new life where grief is not a part of it, is ahead of us. We can look forward to that day when we will stand resurrected with him. And death is just a memory. Life is what's in front of us. He is the healing and we can go to him in that season of grief and allow him and his time to give us his healing in his way. The healing we need and the healing the world needs. Jesus is good medicine. See him at work in your grief.